Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk 1150. The Dog Show is brought to you in part by the Natural Pet Pantry. Raw and cooked food diets for your dog and cat locally made here in Seattle. Naturalpetpantry.com is their website. Excellent food. A couple of announcements and then we're going to get right into an interview with one of my all-time favorite guests. Dr. Michael Fox is back on the show today. Uh, Quickly, though, uh, Furry 5K is coming up. It's uh, Seattle Animal Shelter's uh, biggest fundraising event. It's located in Seward Park, the Furry 5K, every year. Uh, June 9th this year, 10 a.m. is the start. It's a really lovely walk around Seward Park. Thousands of dogs, lots of great vendor booths. Uh, The A-Help Project, which is an animal hospice, end-of-life, palliative care organization, which I'm on the board of directors for, uh, will have a booth there. So be sure to stop by and say hi to them. A great group of people. June 9th, Furry 5K, and you can go to their website, furry5k.com, to find out more and to get you and your dog registered. And uh, I've been talking about this every week, very enthusiastically, and Dr. Fox is on the show today as part of a preparation for this uh conference that's coming up, the Sparks Conference. And um, Dr. Fox, I'm actually going to read some of your writing describing what this conference is. It's the first international gathering of canine behavioral scientists. The study for, or I'm sorry, the Society for the Promotion of Applied Research in Canine Science, that's Sparks, the acronym, is hosting its first international three-day conference on dog behavior, among other subjects, in Redmond, Washington, June 28th through the 30th, where the latest knowledge and ongoing scientific research into canine behavior, communication, cognition, and development will be presented, discussed, and debated by some of the leading researchers, including Dr. Michael Fox. Uh, The website is caninescience.info. I will be there with bells on for sure. It's this uh, this June 28th, 29th and 30th in our own Redmond, Washington. I have never seen anything like this come our way. And it's very exciting. So yeah, you don't have to be local. There's people from all over the world coming to uh, attend this really wonderful conference. CanineScience.info. And uh, on the line with us is Dr. Michael Fox, uh, who's been on the show uh, three times over the years. Dr. Fox, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Well, uh, we've talked in the past about uh, our first interview was back in uh, November of 2009, and it was about your book, uh, Not Fit for a Dog, The Truth About Manufactured Dog and Cat Food. And uh, after that, we in that interview, we talked about a uh, quite a bit about prescription diets and the relationship between those companies and vet schools. And it was such an informative interview. And uh, then we had you on and we talked about vaccines. And then we had you on again and talked about fleas. And now here you are. And uh, we're going to be talking about um, some of the things that you'll be presenting because you are one of the featured presenters at the Sparks Conference. 
And you were the first name that I was like, Dr. Fox is going. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I have to go to this. I mean, if it was just you, I'd be excited. Um, so I'm really looking forward to meeting you in person and to hearing you speak. Yes, I look forward to meeting you, too, because through your radio show, you've done a lot to increase people's knowledge base and uh, quality of care of their canine companions. And that relates to other animals, too, when we get into uh, understanding and respect. And uh, I just wish uh, you could be cloned or we get a good kennel and start... Thank you. To, to get your messages out more broadly. And I think, you know, this is part of what this conference is going to do because mm-hmm. the organizer is um, really going to get this all on video and uh, stream it around the world. Yeah. And apparently even people coming from Mongolia and Hungary, so it's going to be quite a gathering. Yeah, it is. It's really, it is quite a group of people, and I just can't wait for this. And uh, you're going to be talking about a number of different topics, and what I'd like to start with um, is the topic of nutrigenomics and evolution and and how evolution has affected how dogs digest food. Um, and is now, Dr. Fox, you um, introduced me to Dr. Jean Dodds, which I am eternally grateful. She's brilliant. And she has a book coming out this fall, doesn't she, about nutrigenomics? I believe so, yes. yes. She's been working on this for a while and uh, coming up with uh, some of her own specially tailored formulas mm. for for different breeds and dogs with uh, nutrition, genetic-related health issues uh, that I think will be a major step forward from these rather randomized and often questionable uh, special prescription diets that some of the major pet food companies have been promoting for a while and which Dr... Um, Marion Smart, uh, a professor of veterinary nutrition at uh, the veterinary college in Saskatchewan, uh, has written about in uh, my book, which I co-authored with her and another veterinarian, uh, The Truth About Cat and Dog Foods, mm-hmm. uh, Not Fit for a Dog. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. If you are interested in learning about pet food, uh, that's definitely high on the list not Fit for a Dog, The Truth About Manufactured Dog and Cat Food. Great book, very informative. Dr. Fox, will you, in a way that uh, most people would understand, will you describe what nutrigenomics means? Nutrigenomics is a term that's been coined to identify the fact that uh, the genetic background of an animal can affect its ability to deal with certain nutrients. For example, Bedlington Terriers have an enzyme defect uh, that leads them to store too much copper in their livers, and they can die of copper toxicosis, so they need a special diet. Uh, Other dogs, like Wheaton Terriers, Mm. and it's funny they should be called Wheaton, uh, they don't do well on wheat, and Mm. they can have terrible enteric problems and so on. And this whole fascinating area is pointing in different directions. Sometimes it's a genetic defect 
specific to the breed or certain individuals in that breed. And so to keep them going, they need to have special diets. In other instances, there can be what is called epigenetic influences. Uh, and that happens with the genes being reprogrammed uh, during pregnancy so that the developing puppies come out uh, expecting a certain kind of food because that's the food that the mother was eating. Mm. Uh, it is extraordinary. And the most simple explanation of this, the most simple experiment, comes from my alma mater, Royal Veterinary College London, where they got some mother rats and fed them the equivalent of human junk food. Mm. And they became obese and diabetic, you know, like mm, right. half the American population today. Sure. And lo and behold, uh, their offspring, when given a choice between healthy rat food and the human equivalent of junk food, immediately went for the junk food. And they were even more prone to develop diabetes and obesity. Mm. And uh, there have been some human studies, too, indicating that what the mother eats and the kind of cultural tradition uh, affects uh, how food will be digested and uh, food preferences mm. in the offspring. It is amazing, but when you think of it biologically, it is nature's way of helping an organism adapt to what's around uh, in the name of food sure. in the immediate environment. Right. Yeah, that's, that is so, real interesting. So, so the next step that goes forward with this in the epigenetic prog uh, programming, uh, the, the next step is the bacteria in the digestive system. Mm. And recently, there some fascinating research. They've done studies comparing wolves and dogs, and they found that dogs indeed have a greater ability because of this nutrigenomics and evolution of their genes to better handle carbohydrates mm -hmm. uh, than wolves. And I'm, I'm just waiting for some of the uh, pet food companies to leap onto this and say, see, told you, uh, they're going to do fine when you put a lot of starches in their diet. But that ain't necessarily the best thing to do. Sure, we can adapt genetically. And actually, this is another study done with kittens, that the population of bacteria in the digestive system will change if they're given more carbohydrates or more protein. Mm. So we're talking about, the, they call this the microbiome, and it's absolutely fascinating. And some holistic veterinarians now are dealing uh, with some poor dogs that have terrible digestive problems and poor immune systems, they're giving them little capsules of feces from healthy dogs. Huh. And human doctors are doing that for some people with intractable uh, obesity and even depression. Capsules? And you capsules said of feces. Crap. Yes. <laughs> you know, I scoop a lot of poop. I have three dogs, and I have wondered, how can I make money off of this? <laughs> yeah, I'm just well, kidding. there's an old expression I'm in the north kidding. of England where there's milk, there's money. Yeah, right. <laughs> Very interesting. The digestive tract, um, I mean, physiology in general is just totally blows my mind, but I've always been especially fascinated by digestion. And I talked um, a little while back about that, that 
the environment of the bacteria and the good bacteria and the bad bacteria and the role that they play and how it affects not just digestion, but overall immune function. Immune function and how uh, the immune system responds to a perceived uh, threat coming in to the body, either through the intestinal wall or inhaled or whatever. So dogs suffering from allergies and autoimmune diseases and uh, complex things like that, and especially older animals, too, whose just systems are generally breaking down, Mm. it's very advisable to pack them up with good quality uh, probiotics. Mm. And uh, if they're not necessarily lactose intolerant, to give them good, raw, organic, plain yogurt Mm. or kefir, uh, those are two very good uh, sources Raw being of the key. natural bacteria. And, you know, if your dog's running out in the park and starts nibbling on some rabbit poop or deer poop, you know, just turn the blind eye <laughs> for a short while and let your dog eat a little good soil, too. <laughs> yeah. Because there are microorganisms in there, and mm-hmm. I think it's a, a nutritional wisdom. But when the dog becomes obsessively compulsive eating, especially dirt, it could have anemia. Mm possibly triggered by adverse vaccine reaction or hookworms or whatever, or there could be some other health problem going on, Mm. and the dog is trying to compensate for that. Mm. But a normal amount of coprophagia and uh, poop eating and dirt eating called pica, it's quite normal for a lot of species of animals. Mm. Yeah, just to turn, turn the other cheek, I suppose. Um, Dr. Fox, I have a, we're going to take a quick break and then I have a question for you about uh, the subject of nutrigenomics. We will be back in just a few minutes. You can find Dr. Fox online at drfoxvet.com. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice. JetCityAnimalClinic.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to BioClean, specializing in incident cleanup, we cover the world of animals. This week, May 26th, it's the last Sunday of the month, and that means it's a shelter, rescue sanctuary, and anything that helps our animal friends Sunday. We'll talk with Mollywood Avian Sanctuary. I'll follow up with the Macaw Sanctuary Incarnation about the anonymous noise complaints. We'll visit with All Breed Equine Rescue, plus some surprises. Martha Norwalk's Animal 
World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Want a faster metabolism? Desperate for more energy throughout the day? Food is our most powerful medicine, and on Passionate Nutrition Radio, I'll answer your burning nutrition questions and offer real solutions for your family. On Passionate Nutrition Radio, you'll learn how to transform how you look and feel with the foods that you eat. My name is Jennifer Adler, and I'm a nutritionist, chef, and founder of Passionate Nutrition, a nutrition practice with six locations throughout the greater Puget Sound area. Join me on Passionate Nutrition Radio for a weekly serving of nutrition wisdom. Learn more at PassionateNutrition.com. That's Passionate Nutrition every Friday at noon. Do you have an injury, old or new, that won't heal? Are you fighting a cold or illness you can't kick? Do you feel like you've tried everything and are still struggling to find wellness and balance in your physical health? Have you been unimpressed with acupuncture in the past? For over a decade, Robert Meduzia has been making a difference for people who thought they had exhausted their options. Don't settle for pain and illness. Call 425-828-6190. That's 425-828-6190. Again, 425-828-6190. The Acupuncture and Sports Clinic of Kirkland. Heal faster, play longer. On the AM band at 1150 and on the FM HD band at 98.9 HD3. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk 1150. We are back with the very wonderful and brilliant Dr. Michael Fox. DrFoxVet.com is his website. You can check out his work and all of his various publications. Um, Dr. Fox, welcome back. If you are just tuning in, we were in the first segment talking about uh, genetics and nutrition and this uh, newly, relatively newly coined term, nutrigenomics, Um basically identifying, to paraphrase, that genetic background can affect um, the body's ability to deal with certain ingredients. And um, Dr. Fox, you mentioned a few um, known breed-specific intolerances. You mentioned the Bedlington Terrier. You mentioned the Wheaton Terrier. Um, And those are some things that we know. But is there a way to test an individual like if I want to test and say okay well what is it is it grain free is it not grain free is it beef is it you know is it red meat is it poultry does it not matter like if is there a way to test an individual whether it be dog or human but for this purpose dog um, to see what that individual is genetically um, sort of able to successfully digest as far as ingredients? Well, you start from scratch with with the weaned puppy and you weigh the puppy and see how the weight gain is going. And you look at the poop and if it's very high volume or looks greasy, uh, you might have a digestive problem going on there. Uh, You could have even in a young animal, what's called pancreatic insufficiency. There's just not enough enzymes being pumped out to properly process the food. Now, some of the pet food companies will put, and they they farm out this research, Uh, they will have cannulas put into the side of the dog and draw out some of the uh, partially digested uh, foods, you know, all the different byproducts they're trying out, just to see how... 
digested uh, that material is. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not the way that uh, Dr. Gene Dodds would uh, approach finding the compatible diets for certain breeds. Part of it is a clinical approach. If you have a dog uh, that is showing intermittent diarrhea, possibly has inflammatory bowel disease, then you use the elimination diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start from scratch with uh, maybe a boiled uh, brown rice with a little bit of a known animal protein in and then start adding ingredients and see how things go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one feeding regimen for most dogs is to keep to the single protein idea, but rotate uh, to a different protein every week. Mm-hmm. That way you can reduce the chances of the animal becoming hypersensitive or allergic to a particular protein. Um, another way is to uh, have the, the veterinarian uh, take stool samples, and you know some of the pet food industry people are very concerned about dogs uh, pooping too much if there's too much fiber, mm-hmm. so they reduce the fiber content. But dogs generally need a certain amount of fiber, which they would get in the chewed up bones and tendons that they would have in the wild. Mm-hmm. And when it's a very low bulk uh, fecal material going out, then In many instances, I believe, the anal glands don't discharge properly. Mm. And uh, then you can finish up with an anal gland problem. But there again, a lot of dogs have chronic ear and anal gland problems. And that can be a cardinal sign that they have a food allergy. Mm. So you have to start from scratch again and try the elimination diet. Mm. Uh, Some veterinarians are prescribing the so-called hypoallergenic diets. And the first one that came on the market was rice and lamb lamb byproducts and so on. But uh, looking at some of the so-called hypoallergenic diets that say just have uh, rice or potato and veal in or venison, uh, they're finding that there are all kinds of other animal proteins in there depending on the ethics of the manufacturer and uh, the uh, reliability of their suppliers. Yeah. Dr. Fox, for so many people in my work with training and behavior, I am always talking to people about what they're feeding their animal. Um, And I meet so many people who say, oh, my dog developed, uh, even people who have been feeding, you know, uh, raw food diets or, um, you know, cooked food diets or, you know, not even necessarily who are on processed food. But they and then they say that the dog has uh, developed uh, some sort of condition, whether it be pancreatitis or uh, inflammatory bowel disease. And they say and, and the and the vet told me to put the dog on one of the most common ones would be like the um, ZD prescription diet. And I'm um, curious what if especially for those people who aren't feeding processed food already. I know that there's an alternative, but what what would that be or how could those things be caused if a person is feeding like a raw food diet? How could the dog develop inflammatory bowel disease? Is that a misdiagnosis or can that happen? It could be a misdiagnosis because, uh, or not necessarily misdiagnosis, but a mistreatment mm. when not considering uh, the whole animal. And part of the whole animal are the bacteria in the digestive system. And 
in some instances, the dogs have been transitioned onto the new diet too quickly, and the bacterial population in the digestive system has not had time enough to to go through adjustment. Uh You can have uh, a sudden disruption if the animal is stressed, Mm -hmm. and uh, clostridia infection, a nasty one, can uh, flare up, causing diarrhea, and it may seem like an inflammatory bowel disease, but in fact it's a dysbiosis. It's an imbalance Mm. of the beneficial bacteria. Mm. So then you've got to load them up with probiotics and so-called prebiotics, such as inulin, not insulin, but inulin. And there are many other holistic approaches, too. Uh, Aloe vera juice is very soothing and healing for the digestive system. Mm. And ginger and peppermint can be quite miraculous uh, for uh, upper gastric problems and uh, gastrointestinal pain. There are a lot of herbal approaches to treating these kinds of problems that I I will mention in my talk. Mm. Uh, But, you know, one of our own little dogs from India, uh, he would just have a mouthful of of, uh, scrambled eggs and he would start having cramps and uh, start looking a little glassy-eyed and have to go out in no time at all. Mm. Uh, He was clearly allergic to to eggs Mm. and very often... Uh, these kinds of ingredients are put in small print on the can or the or the bag of dog food, and uh, it might be missed. Dried egg product, you see that a dried, lot. Dried egg product, exactly. Yeah. Uh, beef is another fairly common allergen mm. uh, for a lot of dogs, so you really have to to look around. Now, there have been a number of instances instances where. Uh, I've had correspondence from people whose dogs have had seizures, epilepsy. And uh, one major trigger for epilepsy is uh, corn. And wheat can be a problem, too. It was some Swedish researchers at the uh, veterinary college in, in uh, Uppsala uh, identified wheat as a potential cause for epilepsy in dogs. Mm. So rather than just finish, uh, f- filling them up with uh, phenobarbital and other anti-seizure drugs, look to the diet. And right. more and more veterinarians now are looking at, at this side. And I think under the broad umbrella, uh, this fits into nutrigenomics. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, your work in looking at the impact of genetically modified ingredients in food and what that's doing. Uh, Dr. Michael Fox is with us today. drfoxvet.com is his website, and he is one of the presenters at the Sparks International Conference, which is coming up here in Redmond, Washington, June 28th, 29th, and 30th. Caninescience.info is that website to register and find out more about this event. I hope to see you there. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Who's talking to the birds in the trees? Why it's just my dog and me. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, 
raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. Camley Electric Incorporated is a full-service electrical contractor. From simple home repairs to full remodels, new construction, and small commercial projects, our qualified electricians do it all. We pride ourselves on our workmanship and professional standards, delivered with value in mind. Located in historic Ballard, Kemley Electric serves the greater Seattle metropolitan area, licensed, bonded, and insured. Kemley Electric welcomes all inquiries about your electrical needs. Visit the website kemleyelectric.com. That's K-E-M-L-Y electric.com. There's an exciting new astrology hour, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. with Deborah Silverman. Deborah's unique blend of psychology and astrology turns planetary language into plain English. Join us for an interactive hour that's guaranteed to give you personal insights in a fun and entertaining way. Tune in to Deborah Silverman Live. Whatever your life question, marriage, job, family, relocation, or just curiosity, call for a live reading Tuesdays at 5 p.m. And visit Deborah's website at DebraSilvermanAstrology.com. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist www.sensitivedog.com Negativity and fear, two staples of talk radio. Well, we figured we'd try something different. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we are back with Dr. Michael Fox, who is one of the featured presenters at the Sparks International Conference, which is coming up the end of June here in Redmond, Washington, we are lucky to have it local. There are people coming from all over the world to attend this conference, and Dr. Fox is one of the presenters. Dr. Fox, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, if you've missed any part of this interview, don't worry, because it is archived on our website. It will be archived on our website, dogradioshow.com, as are all of our 220 episodes now, and also a free podcast on iTunes. You just go to the audio podcasts and search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Be sure to find us on Facebook as well. Uh, the website for Dr. Fox is drfoxvet.com. And if you're interested in learning more and registering for this Sparks conference, you can find them online at caninescience.info. That's caninescience.info. And I will post all of these links on our homepage as well if you can't jot these down uh, again, our homepage is dogradioshow.com. So we've been talking um, quite a bit in the first half of the show about nutrigenomics and what that is and uh, kind of breaking that down a little bit, no pun intended. Um, and so now I'd like to talk, Dr. Fox, uh, with you about um, your work and your opinions and um 
uh, about genetically modified ingredients and what that what that impact, the impact that they are having on um, on us in general. Well, I'm very concerned what's happening to us, uh, our companion animals, wildlife that eats the stuff, and the environment, and. Um, it started to impress me uh, a number of years ago in the late 1990s uh, through my syndicated newspaper column that I've been writing for many years. I started, suddenly started seeing more and more letters uh, from people with dogs especially and cats who were having more digestive bowel problems, more allergies and everything else. And against that background, there's been no significant change in the frequency of vaccinations uh, over that time period. There's been no major change in the kinds of anti-flea and tick drugs that they're being given. Uh, the only thing that was standing out in my mind was the increasing inclusion of genetically engineered corn and soybean and some sugar beet and imported rice into cat and dog foods. Of course, there shouldn't be any of those ingredients in cat foods because cats are obligate carnivores. They, they should not be eating stuff like that. Mm. And in the poorer quality dog foods, there's, they use soy, soybean as an alternative to quality protein. Uh, which in itself can cause problems for dogs. Right, shouldn't as, be doing that in the first place. Yes, and and as as I said earlier, the corn can cause seizures and other problems, and cystitis in cats, and blah blah blah. Uh, but I started seeing more of these uh, uh, health problems, and for me, the litmus test is called so-called evidence-based medicine, that I advise people to take their animals off all the manufactured foods that contain these GMOs, the corn and the soybean especially, and uh, to either buy organically certified pet foods, which are hard to find but are increasing now, or use a home-prepared diet uh, like my own on my website and in my books. And the people would write back to me and say, my animal's better. Mm. So I, I just connected the dots. And then uh, through my network in Europe of uh, laboratory researchers looking at uh, the effects of these GMOs on test animals, uh, just confirmed what I was suspecting all the way along, that every organ in the body can be affected by these GMOs uh, because of the novel proteins that are put in. They can trigger allergies because of the glyphosate, Monsanto's Roundup herbicide, is absorbed by the plants, and we finish up eating them, and as do our animals. And the herbicide can interfere with the delicate balance of the uh, uh, bacteria in the digestive system and cause other health problems too. And according to one researcher, may be creating a, a new uh, pathogenic disease. And then uh, these engineered crops are producing their own insecticide called Bt or Bacillus thuringiensis. And uh, researchers have found that this can cross the blood-brain barrier, might affect child development, and most recently uh, has been linked to causing anemia in test animals. So you know, we're essentially up the creek without a paddle. We don't need this technology. 
but uh, the big uh, genetic engineering companies who started buying up all the small seed companies in the 1980s now essentially have a monopoly of seed stocks, and they're saying that this is the way to feed the hungry world. The British government works with, uh, through their consulates uh, around the world to convince governments to buy into this technology, and it's insane. Mm. Now, you said um, the uh, insecticide BT is produced by several varieties of genetically modified corn, so the corn is producing the insecticide? as a... Yes, and uh, that's been tied in with the decline of the monarch butterfly, too. Mm. And, uh, and insect-eating birds, there's no insects. And something else happens with this corn, too, um, that leads to a greater incidence uh, of uh, aflatoxin, mold infections, mm. which is... Uh, and the worst thing with the glyphosate, the herbicide, which they resist so they absorb it, uh, this herbicide interferes with their uptake of essential nutrients such as zinc, iron, magnesium, manganese, uh, and other essential trace nutrients. So the foods that come from these genetically engineered crops are not only contaminated and dangerous, they're less nutritious than the conventional mm. or the organic. Mm-hmm. You say that uh, this BT toxin from genetically engineered corn sources has been found in the blood of pregnant women and their babies as well as in non-pregnant women and uh, BT toxins, which have been shown to damage human kidney cells, may cause leaky gut syndrome in newborns, which is the passage of undigested foods and toxins into the blood from the intestines, which leads to food allergies and autoimmune diseases. Uh, reading from your notes, Dr. Fox, um, also something really, if that's not scary enough, uh, since the blood-brain barrier is not developed in newborns, toxins may enter the brain and cause serious cognitive problems, and that some healthcare practitioners and scientists think that this is uh, an apparent mechanism for autism. Yes, now autism is a kind of a wastebasket for a lot of right. conditions, yeah. and we have to just limit... Uh, all possibilities if we're going to get healthy. It's like treating other complex syndromes, uh, like the obesity epidemic that's tied in also uh, with uh, endocrine-disrupting chemicals in our water mm. and in the food chain. So a lot of, we're, we're dealing here with a lot of complex uh, diseases because of all the different factors that that may be involved. Yeah. Now, we talked earlier about um, the studies that have been done, and I, I know just anecdotally as well, um, where if pu- uh, puppies or babies, animal babies, will tend to prefer the foods that their mothers ate. Um, so if that's the case, and then also in talking about these, you know, how this is, uh, you know, altering uh, dogs genetically, how do you get the wheel turning in the other direction? Because it's it's like this momentum is so huge, going. You know, it's like a it's like a, a speeding out of control train. And yeah, it, it it is a juggernaut, and it's been created by these uh, food monopolists. Uh, Henry Kissinger said, "If you want to control the world, control the food." 
Mm. And uh, the big multinational corporations now are essentially uh, limiting the options for, for farmers for the varieties of seeds that they can get and so on. Mm. Uh, but there are seed-saving networks. Uh, there are certified organic farming producers. Uh, there are local community-supported agriculture um, markets uh, just going up left, right, and center, and more and more uh, holistic practitioners yeah. of human and veterinary medicine are realizing that we should follow the Hippocratic wisdom of regarding uh, <coughs> our food as our first medicine. Yeah, imagine that. It's a uh, big step. Yeah. Um, it, it, and it is revolutionary because mm. we're, we're fighting forces that our government uh, aids and abets and yeah. actually subsidizes through our tax dollars. Yeah. So it really, it's, it does have to come to uh, education and awareness of the consumer? Yes. Because that's ultimately what drives it, is, is who's is the purchasing. That's it. But, um, you know, years ago when I was giving a, a talk about the horrors of factory farming and how uh, diet can affect our health at the University of Rochester, uh, the, the Mayo Clinic at that time, uh, told the university bookstore and the major bookstore in town that they should not carry any of my books. Uh, this is the kind of control uh, yeah. of information uh, that can be quite uh, in your face at times. Mm-hmm. Um, very disturbing. But we have, you know, the American Veterinary Holistic Medical Association now mm-hmm. and other groups uh, advocating uh, biologically appropriate diets for companion animals. Uh, a few years ago, the Holistic Veterinary Medical Association and others were really not looking at nutrition, but uh, it's it's been a, one big wake-up, and I'm very pleased to be part of that revolution. Yeah, uh, and it is it does seem to be f- uh, continuing to flare up more and more. I mean, with the you know with what went on several months ago with the AVMA and their whole anti-raw food and um, uh, homeopathy and all the stuff that was kind of going on with that. and uh, But the more they stand up to defend the status quo, uh, the more you realize that the emperor's new clothes. <laughs> right, exactly. It's because uh, they uh, feel threatened, which is good. Heard, but right. the, the, the major pet food industrial companies, they're part of agribusiness, and they've made incredible inroads into veterinary schools around the world, yeah. uh, influencing the curriculum, and uh, what the students are being taught. Yeah, and you speak a lot to this in uh, one of your books. It's called uh, Not Fit for a Dog, The Truth About Manufactured Dog and Cat Food. It's an excellent book. Uh, highly recommend that, and you can find... And, Julie, I, I detail more of this veterinary uh, collusion with the drug companies and the pet food industry in my latest book called Healing Animals and the Vision of One Health. Uh, it really gets down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> Great, uh, Dr. Fox's website drfoxvet.com. Dr. Fox is one of the presenters of the first international conference, uh, Sparks International Conference, and it is a group, a really very impressive group of people. I've never seen anything like it, especially not coming to our very own Redmond, Washington. Um, caninescience.info is the website to find out how to register and to find out more about uh, the company that Dr. Fox will be keeping during this uh, 
Really, really amazing conference. Uh, We've got one more segment with Dr. Fox. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice. JetCityAnimalClinic.com. Hi, I'm Pat Polly. Tune into my show, Get Active, each Tuesday at 12 noon on Alternative Talk 1150. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about one of the wonderful activities in the Puget Sound region, ones that you may want to participate in. We'll focus on how adult beginners can comfortably get into all of these activities. You'll learn a lot about how you can get active. Be sure to listen. That's Get Active with me, Pat Polly, at 12. Each Tuesday on Alternative Talk 1150. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's Dog Behavior. Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. This is Alternative Talk, 1150. Got it? Cool. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Talking with Dr. Michael Fox. Back on the show, this is Dr. Fox's fourth time on our show in our over four years of being on the air. So good to have you back, Dr. Fox. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Fox's website, drfoxvet.com. Dr. Fox is one of the featured presenters in the Sparks International Conference that I have been talking about for weeks now. Very exciting. Caninescience.info is that website. Check it out. People are coming from all over the world and it is being held in our very own Redmond, Washington. So caninescience.info is that website. And if you've missed any part of this interview, you can find it archived on our website, dogradioshow.com, and also as a free podcast on iTunes. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Now, Dr. Fox, in this last segment, um, you're going to be touching on, we've been talking quite a bit about nutrition, nutrigenomics, genetically modified ingredients, you're going to be presenting about uh, a number of other topics, normal and ab- abnormal behavior, which will be on the um, second day, 
And then on the third day, uh, brain and behavioral development, socialization, and superdogs. And you're talking about the U.S. Army's Superdog Project. Uh, tell us about that. Well, this was uh, during my exciting research time. I did my Ph.D. on brain and behavior development in the dog. Mm. And during that time, there were some fascinating studies being done by some experimental psychobiologists uh, with uh, mice and rats. And they would gentle these animals during pregnancy, uh, stroking them and petting them and just loving them up. And they found that their offspring were more more, uh, docile, easygoing. Mm. They were more curious and exploratory, which, you know, affected their learning ability. And uh, I thought, well, uh, let's set something up like this for the puppies and see how it affects their heart rate and uh, their learning abilities and everything else. And lo and behold, I was able to produce very similar results with gentling and mild stress during the first three weeks of life. We'd put them on a little uh, uh, phonograph record player at low RPM, so they're just going around. Right. And then we'd put them in a warm water bath, you know, three days of age, and just let them swim around, being supported, of course, but getting exercise and stimulation. Yeah. And then we'd rub them down, and uh, we found that uh, they were very much like what I identified to be the potential alpha wolves in the pack mm. with higher resting heart rates. And the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War were having some serious problems with their beautiful German shepherds uh, in combat. Mm. That They were spooking out. They were, mm. they were getting stressed out too easily mm. in the field. Mm-hmm. And this Colonel Castleberry... I must have read one of my research papers, and he called me over to Aberdeen Proving Grounds, mm. and I saw the facilities. The, the young pups were not being properly socialized. They were being kept in kennels, just as though they're army units, you know. Right. So many things just to be taken out when they're ready. And so he uh, put uh, a captain, a veterinarian, uh, to do a master's degree with me and develop the program. And these dogs performed better in combat, they were less susceptible to stress. They certainly saved more, many more lives. And it was a, a resounding success uh, of benefit all around. Uh, the only d- downside was the bloody army that would, uh, wouldn't allow these combat dogs to come back because of, I think it was ehrlichiosis, one of the diseases, which, which was unconscionable. They could have been quarantined and treated as needed. Mm. Uh, so I am suggesting for people uh, with litters of puppies to, to handle them uh, soon after birth in the presence of the mother, of course, and stroke them and groom them and massage them and, uh, or, or go to the shelter, and especially in the shelter situation for uh, older puppies, uh, lots of handling yeah. and taking them out and about for enrichment. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, it totally makes sense that from a... a neurological perspective, uh, you know, introducing this the nervous system to stimulation by introducing novelty, but in a way that's not frightening. So in a positive way, uh, so that it's so that the individual um, it develops into an older dog, uh, young adult, adult dog that handles novelty with no problems. The, the, 
you got the gist of it. And I did uh, record their EEG patterns and their brain waves uh, tended to mature faster too, so they could process more in. And <clears throat> um, an under a graduate student uh, soon after that tried to do that with pigs, mm. but she had more difficulty with her professor who did not believe that pigs had feelings, mm. uh, and that was Temple Grandin. <laughs> And uh, I helped her get through her PhD because he wanted to flunk her because she couldn't fully comprehend statistics. But she learned how to comprehend yeah. animals. And it is, as a footnote, an extraordinary irony that it, <laughs> that it takes an autistic person to tell Americans and the rest of the world about animals. Yeah. Oh, become she. So, we've become so disconnected yeah. from simply being with them and observing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and disconnected with ourselves in that way as well. Um, yes. You know, she was just in Seattle. I just found out yesterday uh, in the area, and I did not know that. And I was so disappointed. She is something else. I saw um, the film about her. Really incredible woman. I mean. Yes, she, she is. She yeah. is. She's done some good things. So um, so you'll be talking about that. You'll be talking also about uh, abnormal, normal and abnormal behavior. No, normal and abnormal behavior. You know, a common one, you know, flipping back to nutrition. The lo- a lot of dogs with chronic digestive problems, you know, that, that, that those soybeans are just blowing me to hell inside. They start licking and chewing their paws too much. You'll become restless. Mm. That often when there's some chronic inflammation going on, mm. not necessarily digestive, but elsewhere in the body, mm. they can develop obsessive compulsive behaviors. But I will be talking about other syndromes like that. Okay. And I guess one of the commonest ones today is separation anxiety when the poor yeah. dog is uh, scared of being alone all day. And we have to look at lifestyles there. And whether it's a good idea to get another dog or a companion cat for these animals Mm -hmm. and various other sensible solutions. Mm. Well, it's just I mean, if it was just you, Dr. Fox, I would be so excited for this event. And it's you along with Mark Beckhoff, who I'll be talking with in a couple weeks, Raymond Coppinger, Alexander Horowitz, among others, all together together. sharing your expertise and uh, also uh, agreeing and disagreeing with each other, which is valuable for the audience as well. We're talking about uh, the SPARKS, uh, which is the Society for the Promotion of Applied Research in Canine Science. SPARKS is the acronym. It's uh, Dr. Fox, this is from, these are your words, uh, the first international gathering of canine behavioral scientists uh, Sparks is hosting its first international three-day conference on dog behavior in Redmond, Washington, real close from here, uh, June 28th through the 30th, uh, coming up here in just over a month, where the latest knowledge and ongoing scientific research into canine behavior, communication, cognition, and development, among other things like nutrition, will be presented, discussed, and debated by some leading researchers, including Dr. Michael Fox, who we have had the pleasure and privilege of having back on the show uh, today. Dr. Fox, uh, we've interviewed him a few times. Uh, Real quick, those episodes um, back in November of 2009. I'll post these as well on our homepage. Uh, April of, or let's see, January of 2010, number 47, and April of 2012, number 61. Those were my other interviews with Dr. Fox, if you'd like to find him on the show 
Dr. Fox, I'll look forward to meeting you soon. And it'll be my pleasure to meet you in face rather than in voice. That's right. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. Fox. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.